This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm Drew Dixon. I'm your host, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Chris Gweltney. Hey, Chris. Hey, Drew. Should we review our titles? Do you feel like that's important? <laughs> Are we for still audience? on that? I'm the chief executive nerd for Love Thy Nerd. I'm the chief content nerd uh, of Love Thy Nerd. Hey, and, uh, uh, speaking of and humans, of, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Speaking yeah. of nerds, this actually had nothing to do with nerds, but. We just finished Wild Wild Country last night. Have you seen oh, that yeah. yet on Netflix, the documentary? No, Ooh. but it was recommended to you and I in a podcast oh, that hasn't come out yet. man. We should probably talk about it with our guest, but we'll get to that later maybe. So we have a special guest uh, whose name I did not ask how to pronounce. Just go for <laughs> it. Be confident. Just go for it. Be confident. Do it. Is it it's Bindic? No, just Ben. Ben, okay. Yeah. Ben. Just don't, I don't use the dick in English. Okay. <laughs> and your last name is Strang? No, Stang. 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 Okay. Yeah. It, it's a Nordic name, like really old. Uh, and uh, I think it's from year around year 1000 oh, or so. Wow. Uh, and it's based on the Viking version of uh, Romeo and Juliet. Really, I okay. want to hear about the Viking version of Romeo and Juliet because that sounds way more interesting than the regular type. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What What are the differences between those two tales? With uh, well, he Bendik uh, gets into the maiden room of the princess, and I. Uh, they do have some good time together, I think. And then he gets killed, basically, oh. by the king. So it's a bit more yeah. brutal. Well, you know, the fighting yeah. way. Yeah, that seems, <laughs> seems about right. But then uh, she dies of sorrow. And uh, you also have something with these uh, flowers growing up uh, over the house or something. And okay. then as they are union, then their graves are union somehow through some plant. <laughs> it's been a while since I, I heard of the story. Yeah. Just a feel-good well, story. Mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we expect you to be an expert on it, basically. Um, that's why we had you on the podcast. Uh, no, you you made a game called Earthlock. And, uh, yes. You, what, have you, I assume you've probably worked on some other games in the past. What, how, how would you frame yourself and your work in the games industry for, for our listeners? Um, I'm... Uh, potato <laughs> and uh, an entrepreneur. Uh, so I started Snowcastle in 2009 and uh, uh, I really wanted to, to create games. But over the years, I have uh, managed to hire some people who are super talented and generally better than me at most things. So now I'm more on the sideline. Mm. Um, but that's okay. Uh, it's... Uh, it's still great fun, and I I, I get to uh, get my hands dirty in uh, level design and game design and some 3D graphics occasionally. So I'm happy. Yeah. And what games have you guys produced? Um, is Earthlock, Earthlock the first? Is, 
Yeah, well, we made uh, an adventure game for kids back in 2011. Uh, uh, it was like an, yeah, a mix of an interactive book, children's mm. book, and an adventure game. And uh, we got really great reviews. We were picked on Apple's best of 2011 list oh, and everything. Cool. It was oh, cool. really great. Uh, super start for a small game studio. But uh, turns out you don't make much money on children <laughs> uh, like uh, premium games on the App Store. So uh, it was a not very good financial success. Mm. Yeah. You got to figure out how to make a game that kids can waste their parents' money uh, with, like, <laughs> yeah, mi- microtransactions. That That's the way yeah. you go. Yeah, we didn't want to do that. We're <laughs> very vehemently opposed to microtransactions, especially for kids. Yeah. So it's, it's a, like, you know, doing the right thing and, and making business isn't always so mm, easy to comply. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and so uh, you guys released Earthlock not too long ago, um, and then and then I believe are, are sort of relaunching it as well. Yes. Um, yeah, I guess give us the quick um, pitch. What is Earthlock? Earthlock is a uh, it's a role playing game with turn based combat. It's a homage to like the the old JRPGs of the nineties, PlayStation Two mm-hmm. era. Um, uh, you also have a, a part of it which is uh, inspired by uh, Harvest Moon. So you have a little base where you can grow plants and, and uh, spuds, and then you're equipped with a spud gun. So uh, that's your ammo. Um, and it's some variations to level, level progressions, and uh, it's strict turn-based as in you're uh, in a fixed position. You don't move like an XCOM, but uh, you have a, a character pairing, so you have, you're a total of six characters you can play. You can choose four for combat, and each of those, with those four, you have two pairs, and then they have these different pairing abilities, and growing friendships that will unlock different, uh, more abilities. Uh, and it's a classical, epic fantasy story. <laughs> Save <Yeah>. the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting yeah. to me that that's not, um, I don't know, it seems like that's kind of, I get there, there's still those types of uh, games that come out, like I think about, um, I guess Breath of the Wild's a little bit that way. Um, you know, Nino Kuni 2 just came out not too long ago. But it does seem like there's this move to have sort of um, darker, like less heroic um, yeah. types of stories in role-playing games. And so, yeah, I'm just curious, like, what motivated you guys to, to tell a very, like, um, save-the-world heroic kind of kind of story? <laughs> It's a really good question, and I'm not sure I have the perfect answer for it because it kind of happened, mm-hmm. I'd say, uh, when it comes to the story. Uh, we we were uh, trying to make something that felt like gave the same vibe as those games that we remembered so fondly, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and and I think to that degree we 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 succeeded uh, fairly well, uh, but of course at the same time. Uh, that entailed a story that was uh, maybe um, uh, too epic uh, in some way. Uh, at the same time, that's also the the the, the era, uh, the type of stories that define that era yeah. in many ways. Um, and so, but it, 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 
having some more or having some humor to it. I think it's uh, it's kind of fun, and also we created a really interesting universe. It's like a planet that stopped uh, rotating, or it's tidal locked with the sun. So one side is always facing the sun, and uh, in and that's where it's really warm or like burning hot, and and then you have the dark side of the planet, which is like glaciers and always night. Hmm. Um, and uh, we got to explore that uh, universe uh, a bit, which uh, uh, is also what we're going to do for our next game. Uh, keep it in the same universe. Oh, cool. Yeah. So the next game will be a sequel to Earthlock? Not a direct sequel, but it will be in the same universe. Uh, we're really early in the development, so I can't tell you much about it yet. But <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm curious, uh, like, what uh rpgs like from the 90s were kind of the biggest influence either on the team or on you specifically for this uh i think for the team in general i would say final fantasy 7 and 9 mm-hmm. uh, uh one of my programmers has a final fantasy logo tattooed on his arm <laughs> so uh just a minor fan <laughs> Yeah, uh, for me it was I, I I grew up with a PC, so I was playing like Quest for Glory, uh, King's Quest, Police Quest, all of those CR mm-hmm. games uh, in the eighties, and then I was doing a master's in science and engineering uh, at Buffalo University, uh, New York State University of Buffalo, mm-hmm. and then I was playing Ultima online way 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 too much. <laughs> Uh, and I switched from doing micro nanotechnology to VR, and then I just decided I wanted to do computer games. So I, I, I had one year at Buffalo, and then I went back to the Danish Technical University and, and changed my master's to virtual reality. Of course, I couldn't say computer games because that was like taboo yeah. back then. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and so uh, I... Uh, Instead of doing these micro robots, I started uh, looking at how to make plants for uh, video games. Right. It's funny you mentioned Final Fantasy IX because I just started playing Earthlock like a couple days ago. I'm only probably a couple hours in. And I kind of had some distinct feelings of Final Fantasy IX as playing it because it's kind of, you know, it's <laughs> it's a little more, um, I don't know, whimsical is the word, but like, you're dealing, yeah, you're dealing with real things, but there's a bit of whimsy to it. And I remember that specifically yeah. from Final Fantasy IX, just in the character design, the world, and some of the stuff you're dealing with. So, And it's such a small thing, but like, um, I, I appreciated the lack of voice acting. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just yeah. think, I think um, well, for one, it's so easy to get voice acting that's bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. That's worse than not having voice acting in. <laughs> right. But then I like just the, because it, it has this nostalgic vibe to it. Um, it, I, I wanted to, I didn't want all that filled in for me. Uh, you know, mm. uh, it, yeah. so, it sort of leaves it to the player imagination to sort of give, let the, let the words on the screen give personality to the characters. And then you can sort of fill in the, 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 blank spaces with your own imagination. Um, Can I just say I'm going to be incredibly biased probably, but I think the switch is the platform for the game. Like, and that may just be because I I want every game to come out on the switch at this point. 
but like it just no, feels I so agree. good. It just, <laughs> I don't know. It just makes but so much sense. Like I, I started playing Nino Cooney too. Um, you know, a few weeks ago for PS4, and I don't like it. And I think if it was on the oh. Switch, I would be obsessed. And so when I started playing Earthlock, I'm like, this is what I wanted Nino Cooney two to be. You know, because it's handheld, <laughs> or I can throw it up on the TV if I want. Like. I don't know if I'm just head over heels for the switch or if I have legitimate feelings. <laughs> well, uh, we, we worked on Earthlock for five years uh, and then we launched it in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we realized that we'd made so many cuts that part of the story didn't really make sense. And we spent too much time focusing on the end and the middle part of the game that we kind of forgot about the beginning, which is the most important part because people who play it will then lose their interest sure. very quickly. Uh, so we, uh, we did some hot fixes and changed, uh, uh, parts of the start of the game, uh, through the fall. And then we launched on, yeah, on Steam and on PlayStation in early 2017. And then we started working on, uh, what we internally called the should have been edition, which was <laughs> including everything that we cut. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I shouldn't have said that because that, word that phrasing keeps popping up uh, in like because i i think i mentioned it at some uh kickstarter update or something yeah, yeah. Um, um did you get in but, trouble for using that term oh yeah uh <laughs> well not, not that bad but it was uh, it was uh it was like a general a genuine feeling from our side that we we wanted all these things in the game we spent mm-hmm. five years making it we were always perpetual Perpetual, almost bank- bankrupt while doing oh. it, hmm. um, uh, and uh, so we had to make lots of cuts, and we just fat, like barely managed to get the game out there. And then, with, with when we started making money, we spent all that money making the game better. Uh, and then, after launching on PlayStation, we started making uh, uh, pre-production on on Earthlock Two. Uh, and then, after a month and a half, we were like. It just feels wrong because we, we feel like we're so close, but we just didn't get there. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, we talked about it, and and this is like a growing feeling. And eventually, we were like, okay, let's just stop Earthlock Two. Well, let's just go back. How much time do we need to to make it uh, uh, the way it should be? And uh, we budgeted uh, another seven months. Uh, that included the Switch version as well, and we ended up spending thirteen months. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's never as easy as it sounds, right? I mean, no. Yeah, yeah. Be a game designer, kids. Um, it's easy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, now it feels it feels like it should be, uh, and uh, we're we're proud of it, and uh, and we're also very happy to move on um, to the next game. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, it, after a year and a half with quality assurance, we're just playing the game repeatedly. Uh, mm-hmm. You you start to feel like you want to be creative again. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's really admirable that you guys did that because I think, well, for one, people don't realize how many different, um, uh, you know, pressures there are even upon more quote-unquote independent game designers to make games. Like, you you have your community that expects the game within a certain time frame and then like for you guys if you've kickstarted they sort of expect um 
you know, to, to get their hands on the game within a certain time frame, And then also you, you know, you want them to have a really good experience, but there's just all these different competing pressures to, to meet up to. And, you know, to come back and kind of admit like, Hey, this isn't, we're not happy with this and we want to fix it. Um, you know, I, I, I think, um, probably speaks to the, the pride, uh, uh, you know, the pride in your work that your team has, you know, or maybe I'd let you speak to that. What, what motivated you guys to, besides just the fact that you weren't happy with. I think you're spot on. It's, it's a pride. I mean, we, we were working on, uh, making games because we, we love what we do Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, it's a shitty salary, but it's at least it's fun. Yeah. Uh, but that also means that once we made a product, we we put so much love into it that we you can't leave it behind if you're not happy with it and and you're not like fully proud of yeah. it. Yeah, just it's it, it's so wrong. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, but also uh, we chose to publish. We had to publish it as a new game, a game like fully new product, because yeah. it was so different from the previous version that you wouldn't have any save game compatibility. And if we just made it as a patch, we would have uh, uh, enormous amounts of uh, <laughs> support right. questions of people like, what did you mess with my save yeah. games? Uh, so we had to publish it as a new title, but at the same time, it felt wrong to charge people for it mm-hmm. uh, in a way. Because uh, everybody who bought our game, it was like our first game, and and just uh, giving us the um, uh, uh, trust uh, buying our game, our first yeah. game, it just yeah, it felt wrong not delivering uh, a, a, as good as game as possible uh, f- to those customers. But doing that, uh, making it free for everybody who already owned the game wasn't very easy because mm-hmm. there's not like an automated process where you can just say, okay, so uh, if you own this game, you also own the next right. game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it, we had to like talk to Microsoft and Sony and Steam and, and have them help us do some, they had to do actual manual work for us to to enable that wow. uh, um, but that was cool but at the same time of, of and course, they were willing uh, to do that I guess they were willing to do that um, but um, uh, at the same time uh, then we don't necessarily make that much money from it because right. uh, uh, there is I mean all, the, all those who own the game already can then just download it for free and uh, most people don't know about the game as uh, there are so many games out there and it's so hard to to get any attention so um uh the marketing challenge of publishing a game and a new old game is pretty heavy <laughs> yeah. yeah a relatively new old game too <laughs> like, yeah you know exactly yeah which is a pretty unique challenge that i i don't wouldn't begin to know how to navigate that well um, we're learning <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so, uh, how, how, how's the, what kind of response have you gotten from the new version? Oh, it's, it's really, it feels really good because, uh, we're proud of it, but we can also see that people, uh, are enjoying it. Uh, I, I'd say the, like the average score user score or review is up, uh, more than 15%. Uh, on Steam, if you remove Chinese reviews for some reason, they're a bit negative <laughs> or our user reviews are like, 97% positive. Yeah. 
so that's uh, up from just below 70. So I think we had 69 on the previous version. Mm. So that's a really nice jump. And and crossing that 80% reviews uh, review score is is like a magic thing because then the game is really good. Yeah. Uh, if it's yeah. below, below 70, it's uh, getting into that orange zone, which is not very good for sales. Right. Well, I'll give you my part of my <laughs> review in that I am pretty... I was all into uh, turn-based RPG. I mean, that's that's all we had back, you know, back then. And I mean, I played Final Fantasy and Legend of Dragoon, like all of those titles. But I would say in the last probably three years or so, like I'm kind of burned out on it. Um, it just yeah. doesn't engage me like it did because there's just so many good, like kind of more action-oriented RPGs. And so when I first started playing Earthlock, I was kind of expecting to just be bored. Um, but I'm telling you, like, I'm, I'm all in like the, the combat for me is just as engaging. Um, cause I, I do like to be strategic and like to think through things instead of just pressing a pressing a pressing a, um, so I think you guys have done a really good job with the combat and keeping it engaging for, um, I think in general, there's probably a lot of people that are like me that, you know, lean more towards the action kind of stuff. But I think this is a good Happy medium for me, at least. So I'm all in. Thank yeah. you. Uh, I think also the, the market for uh, action games is obviously much, much bigger. But um, yeah, uh, there are uh, a lot of uh, turn-based games, uh, role-playing games coming out or just recently came out. Uh, but they're more like XCOM style where you move right. and, and fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I thought it, yeah, I kind of had a similar experience with it too, because I think, um, you know, there's a, there, there's kind of an expectation these days that you, you need your role playing game to feel more active. Like if your character is just sort of standing there, then like something's wrong or whatever, it's not going to be engaging. <laughs> um, I think it's a dumb assumption that we have. But I think it's sort of a modern game design assumption that a lot of teams adopt. Um, so that's I think that's why Final Fantasy fifteen, you know,'s combat system was, you know, has guys running all over the place. But I also think like when that happens, like I get, I get uh, lost in what's going on, and I it's frustrating to me when I don't know what the other people on my team are doing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know. Yeah. But uh, but with this, I really liked how the the sort of buddy system works where you have a uh, a pairing or what do you call it is it a pairing i forget the correct friendships yeah your friendships where you can get bonuses with them and then also like stacking status effects can be really satisfying in this game um you should try stacking uh traps and then uh blossing them off with the spud gun if you get three or four traps on you get like super mega ultra bonus (laughs) i haven't gotten her back yet i'm not that far so Oh yeah. Okay. Oh man. Spoiler. Spoilers. Hey. <laughs> Spoilers from the guy but, that made uh, it. Yeah. So um so yeah, I've really enjoyed it so far too. So I would I would um echo Chris's comments. Um we do want to hear from you, like what what's your story? Where are you from originally? As in where I'm from in, in the world? Yeah. Yes. Like where, where did you grow up? Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Oslo, Norway. Uh, I think one of the safest uh, places on the planet. Um, where are you from, by the way? I live in Nashville, Tennessee, but I grew up okay. in Texas. 
Okay, Texas. Okay. Yeah. It's like yeah, the, so like the Texas uh, Panhandle, which is like um where nobody really lives there. It's kind of in the <laughs> kind of in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's it's like we we read about uh, all sorts of interesting stories from um, um, uh, America uh, over here in Europe. Uh, you have a great TV show about a guy in the White House that's extremely entertaining for us. Yeah. Oh gosh! Uh, um, but uh-huh. also, uh, I'm I'm personally uh, I'm a hunter, and I I I was all crazy about guns when I was growing growing up. I probably still am. I just don't have time for it. But at the same time. There's, uh, like, the police don't even carry weapons uh, <laughs> on a gen- general basis in a oh, way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's literally hardly ever any shootings, except we had, like, one crazy guy some years ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, really peaceful, nice uh, little uh, capital city with uh, 500 or 600,000 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also. Uh, lots of forests, uh, forest round and, and uh, mountains and mm. places to go hiking and fishing and, uh, and anything uh, outdoorsy. Yeah. Um, I think I read somewhere that Norway, and I'm maybe I'm confusing it with another Scandinavian country, but I'm pretty sure it was Norway that it's like rated the happiest country in the world or something. Have you heard this? Yes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a list where Norway, Sweden, and Denmark keep fighting for the top space. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, but uh, it's a good thing to have a rivalry over, I guess. uh, Yeah. But it's also because we have, it's, it's pretty much the same type of uh, like uh, political system. Uh, You got lots of different parties and uh, no matter what you vote for it, normally almost end up being the same thing anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, Quite social in many ways. Um, like free schools, free uh, public health care, um, free universities. Uh, so, but at the same time, you pay uh, almost 50% tax if you make decent money. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you look at American taxes and add insurance money for a social security, then I guess you're pretty much the same place, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> probably. I certainly can feel that way. Yeah. So, but here, uh, you, you don't have to worry about that because uh, no matter what happens, you can just, you, you get taken care of. Yeah. Um, and that's the same in Sweden, Denmark, and Finland. And uh, we have our little internal union here where I can choose to go at, to university in Sweden and Finland and Denmark if I like. And it's still free because they just have this arrangement between the governments. Yeah. Uh, and open borders. I can just travel. I, did, I don't even need a passport. Mm. Um, so that's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, uh, I guess the mentality is quite similar. The languages are quite similar. Uh, but the mm-hmm. Danes are, are, are more into eating and enjoying their lives. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and the Swedes are a bit more... Uh, well, I think the Swedes and Norwegians keep t- uh, telling jokes about each other. Uh, but uh, I'd say they're a bit more polite and correct than the Norwegians. Okay. And way more than the Danes. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are sort of the happy the happy medium. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere in there. So. <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah. Um, and did you like growing up where it was, uh, religion or faith a part of your upbringing at all? Like, what what was your life like growing up? Well, Norway is a Christian country, uh, as in state religion is Christian, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Protestant, uh, 
and I was baptized. I I also went through confirmation. Uh, I was able to choose, and I was weighing it with pros and cons, and I chose to get confirmate confirmed. Is that what mm -hmm. you call it in English? Yeah. Yeah, uh, like in, in the Roman Catholic Church. Well, no, or it's uh, it's just uh, it's Protestants, okay. uh, not not Catholic. Hmm. Um, uh, and I also spent one year at a school in England where, uh, we had church on Sundays. Uh, my parents weren't very religious, but they thought it was nice cultural, uh, inheritance, I think. Yeah. So, sure. uh, I, I guess I grew up, uh, uh, slightly unconscious about if there was a God or not, he was just there or like in, in terms of, uh, celebrating christmas and easter and and uh attending church uh really but occasionally um yeah. and yeah. um my takeaway has always been like the new testament just be nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh i guess uh, if you were to place me somewhere i'd say i'm uh hopeful agnostic okay <laughs> i like that <laughs> But I I never had a religious like personal experience. So the confirmation was for going through confirmation. Then was so I'm, I'm curious because you you said that I was, was sort open. Of a personal I, yeah, I was okay. open to to persuasion. If uh, there was a god person up there somewhere, uh, he, he he was welcome to try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I I guess I I still uh, keep my door open. Uh, but uh, at the mm. same time. I, I don't necessarily think uh, I need a like uh, strong personal religious experience to appreciate uh, a lot of the the positive messages that I've gotten from from the Bible and from uh, just knowing Christian people uh, yeah. or, and many other religions for that sake. Actually, um, so there's I think there's a lot of good to it, uh, and then you can also oh, uh, if you want to debate it, which we weren't, uh, you can always debate uh, the other way. Uh, but uh, I like to look at things positively, life and people and humans in general makes mm -hmm. it easier to live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what uh, what motivates you the work that you do then? Like, are there any core beliefs that you have about the world or about life that sort of move you to do what you do and sort of direct your work? Uh, I I believe in people. I believe in the human race. Uh, I think we're a fantastic, interesting species <laughs> and a little mm -hmm. orb. Mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, I am impatiently waiting for visitors uh, <laughs> for visitors is that what he said yeah that would be so much fun imagine how hard it would be to uh have a, a like a conflict with us and them uh in terms of color or race or nationality if you, there were uh, actually aliens around yeah <laughs> that would unite us unless they uh, just so you know incinerate our planet immediately <laughs> in which case that would not be very fun yeah I I think in general, really intelligent beings who aren't threatened in any way uh, tend to be kind of nice. Uh, it's only the dumb rich people who aren't nice. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't read the New Testament. Yeah. Just be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think if there's uh, someone who's managed to create a spaceship that can take them all the way to this uh, part of the galaxy, uh, I don't think they have a, 
uh, a very stressful time taking over a planet, I think they will look at us and find us highly interesting and, and entertaining. And probably if there, if it happened or hasn't, has happened, uh, we're in this like, uh, natural habitat park, uh, endangered species place. <laughs> <laughs> Protected. Hopefully, they just give us one of their spaceships. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's how we'll fix, like you know, global warming and deforestation and all these environmental problems that we have. Aliens will come in and you yeah, know, lock, I think, lock it I think, down. I think. Uh, I think we need to uh, sort that one out ourselves. But I think we will. We just need to get pressed. We need to be in a tight corner to solve big issues, big problems. Yeah. So uh, it's going to get a bit worse, and then I think we're going to fix it somehow. Um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I hope you're right. <laughs> because I don't. Th- I agree. I don't think that we should wait on the uh, aliens for that one. Um, yeah, <laughs> forget it. I'm waiting. We might wait. Have to wait a long time. <laughs> yeah, just bring a towel. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you talked about this a little bit, but how did you get into making games? Yeah, I I've been a super uh, computer nerd since uh the what 80, 1984 uh when I got my first PC it was a P, IBM PPC, a portable personal computer yeah. with the size of a sewing machine. <laughs> portable. Uh, <laughs> yeah, monochrome, <laughs> two floppy drives. It was awesome. Uh my dad gave it to me and he had no clue how to mm-hmm. use it. So I had to figure it out myself, um, and I was. Do they still ask you like to to tell them how to use technology and stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then uh, I was just playing anything I could get my hands off uh, on, and uh, uh, if I could find some magazines with some basic programming, I could write that off and make my own programs and then edit those to make other programs. Um, that's how I learned how to use a computer. Uh, and my friends had a Commodore 64 and Amigas, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. I was quite envious. Yeah, uh, we all know that <laughs> feeling. <laughs> we all had that friend growing up that had everything that we didn't. Yep. Uh, but, um, then I, uh, uh, got into, uh, engineering and kind of didn't think about making games as a business, as a possible career move at all. I was just, games were fun. And I also loved doing art, like 3d modeling and and drawing Mm -hmm. and stuff. And, uh, I think it was while they had during that year in, in Buffalo, New York, where I was playing Ultima online so much, and I realized that um, being an, a, an engineer would require me to come up with an idea and then spend the next five years like real, making that idea come true. Uh, and I figured if I were doing, if I was making computer games, I would have a much faster turnaround on ideas. It's kind of ironic that it was spent five years. <laughs> I was just going to bring that up. Jokes <laughs> on you, sucker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. And uh, if I had chosen the engineering route, I would have had made so much more money. Right. So. <laughs> also but then you would have been, there, been yeah. one of those mean rich guys that destroyed planets or something. Yeah, exactly. So, see, yeah. yeah. It worked out. Uh, yeah. Unless that is, I would make space rockets. Well, would be cool. Can't dwell on the past. <laughs> we have to move forward, you know. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like the coolest job in the world if you get to make space rockets. So, yeah. Um, but then, you know, every, it's always, the grass is always greener, as they say, right? So you go yeah. make space rockets and you're like, man, I just got to sit in the, this cubicle and do math all day um, yeah. or something, you know, and you get Imagine tired of it. Imagine if I could make that games, like how nightmare. cool wouldn't that be? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably a lot like, a lot of game design is probably sitting around right. and doing math too, so. Um, <laughs> I only once in my entire career used differential equations, and that was to make a space turret, a little cannon that would shoot at uh, asteroids uh, going into a gravity field. So <laughs> that's the only time I've made like, or used uh, advanced mathematics. That's funny. Yeah. Do you, uh, are you married? Yes. And I got four Ooh. kids. Oh my goodness. How old yes. are they? Uh, seven, eight, 12, no, 13 and 14. Man, so you got teenagers. What's that? What's that like? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, Harsh awakening, awakening. <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think in general they're they're all nice kids, and uh, uh, but I do see uh, uh, the teenage. Uh, there's three three girls and one boy. Yeah. Uh, and the oldest is a girl, and she's fourteen, going on I'd say yep. eighteen. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, so it, it's uh, it's kind of. Um, highly varying how she behaves. She can be really, really mature and nice and take care of kids and make dinner and do everything perfectly. And then the, the next minute she could be very teenagey and, and nonsensical. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you just have to tell yourself. Sounds like my six year old. Their brains aren't fully <laughs> developed yet. You know, they're still like cooking. And so that's how I try to rationalize I I, it. You know, I read a piece by a neural scientist or something who said that uh the brain of a teenager was actually being uh deconstructed before it was reconstructed in a different yeah. way so it's like like not not just under reconstruction but under right. deconstruction it's literally melting. <laughs> their brains just melting yeah so you, don't, you don't you don't you don't you know it's hard to blame them i guess but i don't have teenagers so it's easy for me to say yeah well, we've all been there, yep. so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, I'm curious because, like, you know, you talked about how you, uh, you think you described yourself as um, hope, hopefully. Hopeful agnostic. Uh, hopeful agnostic. Yeah. Um, I think something happens here, and I think there's a lot of people that are probably, they might, might not describe themselves that way, but might fit that bill here in the United States. And a lot of them, like, when their kids start to get, older they think man i ought to like get them in church or something because they worry that they might not have like <laughs> i don't know this is like the america this happens in america a lot people have kids and they're like oh maybe we should get them into a church or something um have you guys thought about that at all is that something that people in in norway think about much of like it's, it's, now i have kids what am i gonna do as far as their like f- moral formation and all that kind of stuff uh, I think uh, there's uh, there's some really like uh, parts of Norway where there's a lot of religious people. Uh, yeah. We call it our little Bible <laughs> belt. Uh, but oh, interesting. Uh, uh, in general, I don't think that uh, religion 
is very strong, but the moral, like the general be nice upbringing uh, is... Uh, is always present and uh, also I'll, most people go to church for christmas and for uh confirmations and for uh, funerals yeah. and all uh, and marriages uh, as well mm-hmm. uh are a lot of them uh i had uh the, the closest kindergarten uh a few years back was uh the, the kindergarten at church so i had my two youngest uh, in the uh, in the christian mm-hmm. kindergarten yeah. Uh, and they were taught uh, a lot of uh, religious songs. I remember going in a plane to Italy uh, for Easter, and my kids were just singing in the back seat there on, in a, on the in the airplane. All these religious songs, and, and people were looking at us as, as if we were like really super <laughs> religious. <laughs> kind of concerned. Like, yeah, well, no, we're just like <laughs> weirdos. Uh, but um, uh, I, I wasn't. I I was okay with that. I didn't. Didn't mind. Uh, I think uh, my experience with that uh, kindergarten was super awesome. People and my kids enjoyed being there. So uh, even though uh, we weren't particularly Christian at home, uh, yeah, I didn't see any problems with it at all. Yeah. So you uh, didn't like deconstruct everything they were learning <laughs> and send them back to wreak havoc no, well, on their classes. My- my <laughs> oldest daughter came home one day and she'd been taught about, I think it was just around the Easter time. And she came back and says, they said, you know, dad, you know, uh, about Jesus. And I was like, yeah, what do you mean? He died. And then he was like, he became alive again. I'm like, yeah. And she's like, and then God is like him and not him. And he's in up in the cloud. I don't, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, yeah. No, well, that's okay. <laughs> oh, man. She was, what, five years old? Yeah. Isn't yeah. that fun trying to teach five-year-olds that kind of stuff? I remember the first big crisis my daughter had about, like, God and heaven and stuff. My She's six now, but she was probably five when this happened. She yeah. was really – she's been wanting to go to Disney World for a long time, and so – she really was concerned about uh, whether Disney World would be a part of of heaven. That was her big. That was her big crisis. Um, I just said, "Yeah, I mean, it'll be there." So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. if that's what makes her happy, I should probably should be in heaven. Hey, you know, yeah. you went to I seminary, actually, Drew. If anybody can say that, it's you, I guess. So. You're qualified. I actually tried to make like this. Yeah, I actually tried to make this argument for it being a part of heaven that uh, was sort of like sort of theological. And in you nature. made this argument um, to her, a five-year-old. Yeah. Yes, great. I did. <laughs> I did. I do think, for the record, I do think you can make a theological case <laughs> from Scripture, from the Bible, for of of Disney World. Oh, world. Yeah, for Disney <laughs> World. Both be present. there or just Disney World. Well, it'll be Disney World minus all the weird exploitative oh, okay. kind of stuff, you know. Um, so that's my that's my thought. Um, you know, you've heard, you've heard these stories about Disney World kind of being like behind the if you get behind the curtain, 
it's not like like on the surface it's this like happiest place on earth kind of thing it's like norway basically <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and we're all evil behind right. the closed doors <laughs> yeah, yeah i hope norway is not like that though i didn't oh. mean to make that that <laughs> particular it's like but, it's on the outside it's what norway actually is there exactly. you go. yeah uh, no my wife worked at Disneyland, uh, Disney World Paris, uh, oh. when she was younger, uh, and dancing in costumes and, and uh, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, and I think it was pretty harsh work environment, but at the same time, uh, they were all really enjoying what they were doing. So yeah. it was like, uh, it sounds like the game. It's industry always a trade-off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think that's an interesting comparison because. Um, you know, so many people want to work in games. They love working in games um, that I think they're willing to like put up with the uh, put up with a lot of. You know. uh, yeah, that's true uh, and unfortunate. Uh, but uh, I think at the same time, Norway is really small in uh, when it comes to game development. There's just a ten years ago there was hardly any like. To maybe yeah. two companies, three companies. Now there's a lot of smaller indie companies, uh, okay. and, and we're as an industry we're maturing. But uh, in general, I think uh, at least uh, the companies I know here in Norway and in Scandinavia are uh, decent companies. Uh, mm-hmm. If you can't pay people uh, like good salaries, you compensate with some shares mm-hmm. in the company. But at, at least you get paid yeah. so you can live. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and none of that. Uh, yeah. If you work for free, you might get some of the profits in the future. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's a really bad deal. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I do think it's important for people who like listen to this podcast to hear because I think um, don't work for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of um, work that can be done in the games industry. That's um yeah not not conducive to like supporting yourself <laughs> that kind of thing yeah. uh, uh so i'm glad to hear that you guys are 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 you know have some better business practices um and it sounds like there's a commitment to that in in norway too yeah. from what you've said like you have a pretty good community now it sounds like of of designers yeah, it's also fascinating because it's uh, there like all the different studios are helping each other so if i have a problem with something uh or i uh i need to borrow a dev kit for a playstation or something uh then i can just call one of the other companies and yeah. i they'll help me That's great. uh and That's vice versa cool. it, yeah it's it's great we are competing on a global scale but uh that doesn't yeah. really matter. And so as in, in, in a local scale or national scale, we don't feel mm. like competitors. Mm. What do you think? Because I, I found that that's true. I mean, I was just at Penny Arcade Expo mm. East, um, and I met, um, you know, because there's a huge game design scene now in, in Poland. Um, yeah. One of the biggest in the world. And so I was talking to several different Polish game designers, and several of them mentioned kind of, similar thing to what you just said that like you know we're compete yeah we we're competing against these other guys but it doesn't feel that way like and they even said the same thing like we'll share dev kits we'll share assets we'll um you know if there's a programming problem like we're always happy to help each other um and i I wonder why that's because i'm not sure that that's true of other industries necessarily 
um, yeah, we talked a lot about that. I, I don't see that in many other industries, uh, but it's it's really good for the game industry because I don't lose anything from helping anyone, but I have the ability to ask for help if I need it myself. So I basically gain mm-hmm. from helping other people. I ga- gain the uh, the possibility of getting help when I need it. It's the golden rule <laughs> right there. Yeah. So, <laughs> and and also uh, we have uh, like uh, another indie studio in uh, uh, I know in Australia, uh, Firelight Studio. Uh, uh-huh. Old Bullfrog guys made like Syndicate and, and stuff. They started another company uh, called Firelight Studios and made a game called uh, Satellite Rain uh, that I mm-hmm. I just I immediately backed them on Kickstarter or something, and then I contacted them and. And back when we were trying to get our game certified, you had to to get a game out on a platform. You you need to go through this like ESRB rating yeah. uh, process and and PEG rating in Europe. And there's this weird one in Australia, uh, which <laughs> even though they work with games and and evaluate games as an age rating, they don't accept videos from the game digitally. You have to physically burn it to a DVD <laughs> and send it to them. And the same goes for uh, the the game. Uh, so uh in order to uh to publish a game on xbox in uh, according to the deal i had with microsoft we had to deliver the game and, and get it certified within a certain date and that date was slipping because of mm. australia uh, and and they had to get the physical disc from us uh like in two days because uh, then otherwise they would have a, like an some kind of holiday or close down the rate, mm-hmm. rating agency so I, I called the guys at Philo Studio and said, can I, can I just send you the binaries for our game and you burn it to a DVD and just flip it across the street? <laughs> that <was cool. laughs> and they did. <laughs> and we managed oh, to get through. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So yeah. even, even people helping each other all the way across the world. That's awesome. That's yeah. cool. Well, uh, we're kind of running out of time here, though. Uh, where can people find... Well, I guess Steam is the... is obvious place for people to get your game it's on the nintendo eShop uh, on switch store and xbox yeah just search for earthlock or snow castle okay snow cool. castle games nice and uh and you said you can't tell us anything more about the new game that you're working on other than there is one right yeah uh well and... one of the things that we uh wanted to do but we we decided it was way out of scope for our little team uh, in the beginning was uh, uh, multiplayer. Uh, so right now we're at, for Earthlock 2, we're at least looking at ways mm-hmm. to implement multiplayer features. Oh, cool. Uh, so that's going to be a, a massive mm-hmm. uh, challenge for us and a, a big change for the gameplay. Uh, but I shouldn't say <laughs> anything else, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be an MMO, and it's going to... Um... No. I'm, no. Kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But we are looking no, at... No, 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 no. Not saying anything. <laughs> oh, man, we almost got you. Yep. So close. Oh. Uh, and so where can people find you online? You uh, you have a website, you have a Twitter you wanna, you'd want to mention? Yeah, a Twitter, uh, my first name and my surname in uh, one word, Bendix okay. Dang. Um, and um, yeah, I'm mostly on Twitter. Uh, I also uh, Facebook, same thing. Well, very good. Well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Drew Dixon82. Chris, uh, have you decided? 
No, I'm not there it's yet. not really just on Twitter. Give, just give uh, me some time. <laughs> yeah, uh, search for Love Thy Nerd on Facebook if you want to follow what we're doing on Facebook. I think ben joined the group today. Did I see? That? Yes, Woo! I joined you today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I noticed that. So uh, yeah, go check that out. Um, you have a really good uh, way to find that uh, Facebook page because if you search for the uh, URL on your email, uh, yeah, that's right. Then it goes straight calls. to the yes. Right. Hopefully that'll change soon because we're about to have a website. So, um, but, but we, we still hope to make it easy to find that group, but, um, but yeah, we have a great, really active Facebook group. Uh, and so we encourage you to check that out. Um, check out our other podcast. It's called free play. It's a community based podcast for the love thy nerd community. Um, they do a really great job with that show. Um, what else? We're going to have all the social medias soon. So we'll have a, an official Love Thy Nerd Facebook page, not just the community page. Soon we're going to have a, a Twitter that'll be up and running. So all the things are happening, basically. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's it for us. Uh, go rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, you can follow us on Spotify. Um, but yeah, go check those things out. Go rate and review us. Tell your friends about it. That helps us a ton. If you'll go rate and review our podcast, let me know. Uh, email me, drew at lovethynerd.com. And if you rate and review our podcast, there's a chance I might be able to hook you up with a, a game at some point. So or at least put you in the running for a free game. So we have game codes and things that we give out um, for for people who who love us. Who love thy nerd. <laughs> so go. Yeah, who love thy nerd, so... I can also give you a few codes for... Ben's uh, throwing his hat in the ring. Yeah. (laughs) Earthlock is is a great game, and you heard it here. Ben will will, uh, hook us up with some codes, so go rate and review our podcast, and maybe you can play Earthlock. So, uh, thanks, Ben, for coming on the show. This was great. 